0: Chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And this is the, uh, I and mean obviously the Lord's Supper is mentioned in in the synoptics. Um, but I've said this dozens and dozens and dozens of times. But historically, if you're looking at dating of the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 11 was written before any of the Gospels. And so this is the first re- uh, recorded uh, information about the, the giving of the Lord's Supper in First Corinthians chapter 11. And I think in your bulletins, I mentioned just a couple of verses, verses 24 through 26. I want you to think about the significance of the broken body and the shed blood. I mean, there's not only is our salvation uh, one of the passages that Robbie when reading out of Romans chapter 8, I don't know if you think about how important uh, his life was. Uh, the choir does a, a song, a Saying sang it two or three weeks ago. His life for mine. His life for mine. The significance of, of not only his substitution to save us from our sins, which is the most important thing, that, that substitutionary death, but him enabling us because of, of us knowing Christ, his presence in us enables me to obey God's word and actually earn rewards that in even, because of what Christ has done for me and being my Savior, uh, I can actually do things that the Bible calls righteous. Even though I'm an unrighteous man at times, I can do things that are righteous. He enables me to fulfill God's law. It's an amazing thing. Before I read uh, a portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, just in your mind, I want you to go with me. This is when Peter said probably the most significant thing that he ever said. Uh, It's in Matthew 16. I'll paraphrase it for the sake of time. But, you know, they're at a place called Caesarea Philippi. Anyway, and Jesus says, who do men say that I am? Some say you're the prophet, John the Baptist, come back from the dead. And he says, who do you say that I am? This is Peter's confession. And, And he says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus says, you know, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. So Peter says, thou art the Christ. He tells, tells Jesus, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then, then Jesus later on says, on this rock, on the fact that I'm the Son of God, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Peter said one of the most profound things that he ever said in the New Testament. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you've ever paid much attention to Matthew 16, three or four verses later, Jesus calls Peter the devil. He says, Get behind me, Satan. And the whole issue was is that Peter confronted Jesus about his death and said, Basically, he, Jesus said, You know, the Son of Man's going to go and be crucified. And this is all after Peter's confession. And Peter says, by no means is this going to happen to you. Folks, a Christianity without a cross is no Christianity at all. Uh, Our faith without the substitutionary death of Christ. And see, that's what Peter was wanting. He was wanting a belief without, without a sacrifice. And Jesus said, as a matter of fact, he said the same thing to him as he said to the devil in the temptation, get away from me. Because he's saying you're not thinking of God's will. You're thinking of man's will. Yeah, we want a Christianity without a sacrifice, without persecution. But that's not going to be what Christianity is all about. The substitutionary death of Christ is the center of everything we believe. Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians Corinthians 11. And of all things, uh, that early church misapplied it. Uh, They were making a mockery. Of the Lord's Supper. So if you don't mind. I'm going to pick up at verse 17. And just read the narrative. Of what Paul says to the church at Corinth. And folks. Examination is critical. When we come to the Lord's table. The Bible demands. matter of fact. When we get to the text here in a minute. It demands that we examine ourselves. And we see where we are. And it, it forbids us. To take the elements. In a flippant way as if they were no more than a piece of gum or a tic-tac or or sharing a sandwich somewhere, as if they were just not significant flippantly. God forbids us to do that. So the table is extremely important. And one reason, here another thing, today, and we've never done it this way before, and it's okay to do things different. One reason I wanted to do the offering after the Lord's Supper is the greatest motivation for me to give is, his, is him giving for me, right? Am I right? We give because he first gave. And of course, anything I give to the kingdom is insignificant to what he gave to redeem me from my sins, right? And I'm not giving, so he'll, he'll save me or love me anymore. I'm giving because I love him. It's an act of obedience because I love him. Not because he needs the money. You know, God commands that we sacrificially give not to raise money. But to raise children. This is how God raises his children. It's for us to learn to be. Sacrificial givers. And regular givers. That's just, that's just biblical. So I want us to have that on our mind. When we took up an offering. In, in a little while. Uh, and I love what we put in our bulletins. We didn't do this for a while. But we started back in. Worship through giving. Folks some people don't. Give with a worshiping spirit. But it's an act of Worship. Is it not? To give? I think God's going to use that. And just think everything we give with the right spirit, that that goes, that, that, that contribution, it's not the amount, but the spirit of that contribution lives forever. It's eternal. It's amazing. I'm in 1 Corinthians 11. I better not chase too many rabbits so we won't get out on time. 1 Corinthians 11. But in following the instru- But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, is is it not better, but it is for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And Paul says, I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. Of course, obviously they did this after a meal, right? They have a meal and then do the supper meal, the Lord's Supper. So they would come together. And of course, you can see, having they bring their food and then people would eat their own food and not share it. So this is what he said. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. Can you imagine that? Drunk at the Lord's Supper. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Can you imagine how a mockery that was? Not only to the Spirit of Christ, but you had people that were... You had the the halves, people that brought their own covered dishes and their fried chicken. You had the haves, and you had the have-nots, and you had, and the have-nots were at the Lord's table, but there was no food for the fellowship meal that they had. Everybody had their own food. Paul says, "What shall I, What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this?" And we know what Paul says. No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Now folks, we're very good at examining each other. We, the, the speck and the log is healthy in most Christians. We can tear somebody up. We know how other people are supposed to live. We'll think about it. Oh, they, but he says, let a person examine himself then and then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks Judgment. To himself, and he goes on to say, "That's yes, why some of the folks in the church are sick, and and some have died." You know, we've been studying the Book of Revelation, and we, the, you know, we're way into it. We're in, we're going to read in a minute out of chapter twelve, but we'll have to go ahead and turn there. Go to Revelation twelve. Um, but when we're reading Revelation twelve, when you go, but in Revelation, uh, when you have in Revelation six, five, and six, you know, have the the scroll. The, the title deed to all of world history. And if you'll remember, no one is worthy, no one's worthy to open the scroll, uh, which is the scroll that, ho- that holds the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the, that has the rest of history in it, you know. What shall be, the things that are to be, uh, we, we don't know yet. And so they cry and they weep. Nobody's worthy. But remember how it describes the one that was worthy? The lamb that was slain. Was worthy. Because of Christ's death. On a cross. Death, burial and resurrection. He's the one with the authority. To control. As the book of Revelation describes. The title deed of all of world history. He's the Lord of history. And that goes back to. According to the book of Revelation. Goes back to his substitutionary death for us. What's interesting about Revelation chapter 12. And we will look at it. Specifically next week is uh, what, it, what it talks about, about these people that are saved. And, and during, it seems as if they're saved, and it's people that are uh, populating the earth uh, after, the, after the tribulation and, and during the millennial, people that are population. But I just want you to read this to you. And just follow along. I'm not going to talk about all the prophetic signs, but I'll just, I'm going to read down to the middle of the chapter. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, this is obviously, this is Israel, and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars, twelve tribes of Israel. She was pregnant, and was crying out in birth pains, and, she, and in agony, and she giving given birth. That's Israel bringing forth that Jesus was a Jew. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, with seven heads and ten horns, representing nations and on his head seven diadems his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth and uh, that's the fall of a third of the angels and and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child he might devour it and we remember when Christ was born all the attempts for Jesus to kill Jesus and and uh, So she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was called up to God and and to his throne. And now that jumps a long way, but Jesus was ascended into heaven after his ministry. And the woman woman fled into the wilderness where she has a a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. And that's describing the last three and a half years of the tribulation which is three and a half years Jewish calendar. They're protected, you know, because Israel's being persecuted. Move on. Now, war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fighting back, fought back. And, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent, and I love this passage, it tells us four different identities of Satan. One one Satan, but Lucifer, the dragon, the ancient serpent. Anyway, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. You see that now? This is Revelation 12, and it's reminding us that Satan is the deceiver of the whole world. And we know, we've studied, and we know biblical history. We know since the Tower of Babel, the devil and his minions have duped, this world into unbelief, and that's why the Bible says we're the gates of hell that was out there in the world are not going to prevent. We're going to keep preaching the gospel, and people keep getting saved. But I want you to know that the whole world is duped. The whole world. First uh, John five says. First John five nineteen says the whole world lies in the lap of Satan. So the whole world's duped. Uh, so it says, uh, I'm so sort of lost my place. That ancient serpent is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now we believe this happened sometime in the tribulation. Sounds like it's in the middle, okay? And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God uh, and the authority of his Christ have come. For the, the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. So he is the accuser of the brothers. We can see that even in the, in, the, in the book of Hebrews, and especially in the Old Testament. The book of Job tells us this, that the devil accuses believers before the throne. Verse 11. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Read that again. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives unto death. Because Christ died for them and set them free from sin and death, these folks were willing to die during the tribulation. That's what that's describing. But they conquered him. They conquered the devil by the blood of the Lamb. Folks, we too conquered the devil by the blood of the Lamb. The Bible says when we believed in Christ, the power of God conveyed us. I love what Colossians says. He conveyed us from the, from the kingdom of darkness in the, into the kingdom of His dear Son. It's the blood of Christ alone that has the power to save. Amen? Now, before we take the elements, let me just mention a couple of things to you. I wrote down three or four things. Just, you could write down things yourself. That observations and applications. Let me read three or four. Number one. The Bible says that when Christ was crucified. It says this in Ephesians 1. And it says this in Galatians 2. I've been crucified with Christ. Yet I live, yet not I. Okay. We were on the cross With Christ when he was crucified. Now, in God's economy, in in how God saves sinners, he's eternal, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing. So when Christ died, everybody he's going to save died with Christ. So when Christ was on that cross, in the mind of God, who's eternal, who's holy, who's righteous, who elects and predestines, He placed us on that cross with Christ. That's what Galatians 2.20 tells us. I've been crucified with Christ. So when we believed, we died, right? We died with Christ. But in actuality, in the mind of God, we died with Christ 2,000 years ago. And really, according to the Bible, we died before the foundation of the world. Because the Bible says he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God knew what was going to happen. But what I want you to know is when Christ died somehow or another in God's economy in order to forgive me and you we died with him. So he, pun- he was punished for us. Amen? He bore our... guess what? That's that whole darkness thing and the events of the darkness at the crucifixion and Jesus bearing our guilt and our sin and, and saying, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he, he became sin. Not he was sin. He became sin on our part. He, it was imputed to him our sin so number one we were on the cross with him number two the Bible says if we died with him this is Romans 6 if we died with him which we did if you're saved you you did the Bible says if we died with him we will certainly live with him because the Lord that died on the cross is he still dead you can answer let's try it again you you didn't get is he still dead no So if we died with Him, okay, and then that same one we died with came alive, what Paul's arguing in Romans 6 is, if we died with Him, we'll certainly live with Him, right? So He guarantees a resurrection. Folks, I'm giving you reasons why we love the Lord's Supper, why we worship and we remember the broken body and the shed blood. So number one, we were on the cross. Number two, if we died with Him, we'll live with Him. Number three... And think about these words that Peter used. This is in 1 Peter, but We were purchased, set free, ransomed, and redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. Let me read it again. We were set free, ransomed, redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Amen. And there's all kind of doctrines there. Purchased us out of the slave market of sin, set free from the guilt, ransomed, redeemed, no longer an enemy of God. There's all these applications. So that's number three. Number four, we inherit by faith all the merits and the riches of the last Adam. The Bible calls Jesus the last Adam. Let me read that again. By faith, when we believe, okay, we inherit when we believe all the merits, all the riches of the last Adam. See, the Bible says, I'm like the first Adam. I, I have a sin nature. I'm temporal. I'm going to die. This flesh is going to give up. You know? So we bear the image of the man of dust, but we also have the blessings of the last Adam. So everything the last Adam earned as a holy righteous son I inherit by faith. Isn't that incredible? This is why we come to the table to remember to remember the substitutionary death of Christ. Number five. The last one. And this is also in First Corinthians 15. Because of those four things and we identify with and we dedicate our lives to the Lamb slain before time began. We identify with and we dedicate our lives to the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. We love Him because He first loved us. Let me just mention one other thing. You know, I I did this for a reason and and I've been waiting and and I guess God just has shut my mouth for several weeks not to say anything about this but uh, Luke 7 uh, there's a a lady anoints Jesus at a guy's house it's kind of a scandal a social scandal but Jesus says something about this lady that anoints him he says he she just couldn't help herself and it, it was a a, a woman to do this in public was, plus she was known as a sinner and, and it just was a scandal. You know, she she was in a, a righteous, she, so it just was a, a social faux pas, it just was terrible. But Jesus, in the midst of all that, she anoints him and he for, he rebukes everybody for, for persecuting her. And he says, he talks about why she did it. And, and I want you to think about this. When we think about giving, and now I'm back to giving after so we're thinking about now what he gave for us. What do we give to him? Jesus said about this lady that did this, he who has forgiven much loves much. You with me? He who has forgiven much loves much. See, that lady did what she did because she couldn't believe that Jesus forgave her for her sins. And she loved him so much she gave. So he says, those who. Are forgiven much, love much. And folks, the point is sometimes you and I don't appreciate all that Christ has forgiven. Every little petty thought in your mind and heart, every little slang term, every careless word you speak, your bitterness, your hatefulness, your gossip, lust, greed, all those sins, Christ has covered. We love Him. We love Him for redeeming us from our sins. So Jesus says, those who are forgiven much, love much. I have a lot of reasons to love Jesus Christ. Do you? Okay. So The last thing I wrote down, it says, because we belong to His eternal kingdom, we treasure riches from above where He is. I love Jesus said, you know, we... Don't, don't store up treasures with moth and rust destroy, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I'm going to invite the guys to, who are serving with me this morning to come on down. And we'll pass the bread, then we'll pass the cup, then we'll stand together and take the elements, then we'll go right into a song, and then we'll do the offering. Let's pause for a second and just thank God for the for the broken body and the shed blood. Let's pray. Lord, I, I remember all through the Bible, you know, you, you describe yourself as the Son of Man. And part of that is identifying with humanity. But there's this phrase that keeps appearing yet without sin Father we're here because a sinless Savior suffered and died humbled himself, suffered and died as a replacement a literal man who lived a perfect life and then willingly as the God man went to the cross to bear our guilt and punishment Father, thank you for the body. Thank you for the blood. In Jesus' name, Amen. Two, nine, nine, three, four. Okay, you have fun. Again, just hold the bread, and we'll pass the cup in a moment. Pause when I'm taking. I know I look like weird stuff I do up here, but thinking in your mind that Christ served these elements. And he said, you know, he's saying to those guys in the help room take, eat, for this is, represents my body, which is given for you. So when when we do the elements, I try to, you know, for me, I because we served it. So you want somebody to serve you. That's kind of why we do it. If you watch what we do, uh, somebody has to serve me too. Because God gave, He served it. Just think about the significance of the Son of God in the midst of all this Jewish tradition, stopping in the middle of a Passover to, to change the, the change in from an old covenant to a new covenant. Just Robbie read this while ago and stand with me let's stand we'll take the elements and then we'll go right into the song um, Robbie read this earlier in the, in the in the church service listen to this it says there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus amen no condemnation we call that justification by faith for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death there's two laws there's a law, eternal law, a law of sin and death. The soul that sins will surely die from creation. But there's another law, the law of life in Christ. Amen? On the night that he was betrayed, he took, took bread, giving thanks. He, he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. That unleavened bread, sinless. They understood what he was saying. Broken, a sinless Savior taking our place. And we know that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So he took the cup, which is the third cup of the Passover celebration. And he said, really, he said, this is the covenant, that this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. We sing this wonderful hymn. I can be seated. You can be seated just for a second. You know, the orthopedic surgeons love us, don't they? You stand up, you'll be seated. Y'all through guys? Stand up, be seated. I love this last... um, when I baptize, a lot of times we do this chorus this as well. I love the, the, oh, the blood of Jesus. And, and we're, this is going to be our, this is going to serve as our benediction. So, let's stand. Sorry about that. Let's stand. This, sorry. This, this will be our benediction. Thank you for being here.